Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Yes, definitely. Thank God for all our veterans. For those of you who are here today who are veterans, we all of us extend a, a heartfelt thank you for your service, for all that you've done. And, you know, we are who we are today, the freedom that we enjoy in this country that sometimes we take for granted, but that today we don't, and we appreciate the sacrifice that all of you have done. So, amen. amen. It's good to see you all. My name is Lee. I am the pastor of New City Church, uh, as Jeffrey said earlier, and we're up in San Bruno. We're a church plant. Kind of feels like my church when I come here and see all of you. Lots of new faces. Uh, you guys are, I really commend your faith. Um, Seems like we were here, I was preaching about six months ago, and just there's a different vibe. Uh, I feel like you guys have grown just from the, the, the volunteers that I met when I came here. I feel like you've grown in faith. I feel like you've been through a lot, but that God is doing a lot of work in here. So I commend you and uh, keep up the faith, keep up the good work, and God is blessing you as you serve him and stay faithful to him. Amen. So my wife and kids are here. They just disappeared. My wife, Evelina, is here. My son is seven, Jeremiah. My daughter is four. Uh, Jocelyn, and we're just glad to be here. Good. Amen. Good to see you all. Hallelujah. Amen. Keep going. <laughs> My church, we're going through Genesis, the book of Genesis. And, you know, I said, I felt like God wanted us to go through it. So we started, and I was like, man, I knew it was a long book, but man, this is really a long book. So uh, we've been going through it through about a year. And I told Pastor Caesar, we're going through it. So maybe God will want, lay it on my heart to share that with you. And I think he did. I think God's got a, a good message for us today. And he's going to speak to our hearts. And a lot of the songs we sung about trusting God, knowing that he's good, we're going to see how that plays out in our everyday life today. We're reading Genesis 29. And that's what we're going to go over today. So maybe before we pray, you can open up your Bibles. If you have them, open up, open up on your phones and turn to Genesis 29. Um, let me set the story in case you don't remember what's happening in Genesis 29. We're going through the different patriarchs of the Bible, and this is Jacob's life. This is the Jacob story. So Jacob is Abraham's grandson, and he just did something really rotten, and he deceived his brother. He stole his brother's blessing. He kind of dressed up in his brother Esau's clothes, and his father, who was elderly, Isaac, thought he was blessing his brother Esau, so he stole the blessing, you know, really just a, a rotten thing to do. And his brother Esau said, boy, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm so angry at him. So Jacob said, ah, I better get out of here. And his mom agreed. So she sent Jacob and said, hey, Jacob, you better go out of here. You live here. Get out of here. Go to my old homeland in this place called Haran, 500 miles away, really far on foot. Go find a wife over there. You know, basically, just get any other reason to get out of this area so you can survive. And so Jacob does that. He goes on foot. He walks 500 miles away. And he's on this road to Haran. And he's alone. And he's afraid. And it's dark. And he has this encounter with God. And God meets him in the darkness of one night and reveals himself to him. And Jacob's faith is strengthened. Cool. So he gets back on the road, and he's heading towards the homeland of his mom. And something amazing is going to happen here, although it's disguised in a real disastrous incident for him. 
So, as we start, let's begin there. Open your Bibles to Genesis 29, and we're going to read a big chunk today. Um, Put on your Bible goggles and your Bible helmet, and we're going to read a lot. Yeah. Yes, do this. Can you ever read enough, really, is what... No, amen. All right. I'm going to pull you to my church because I love hearing this enthusiastic amens. All right. Genesis 29, 1 through 30. I have the English Standard Version. So follow along as we read this together. It's going to take a while, but I know you can do it. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we're from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It's better I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is complete. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? 
And Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the older. To give you the younger before the firstborn, I'm sorry. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Wow. What do we make of this? What an interesting, messy situation we find ourselves in. Before we go further, let's stop and pray to God for his spirit to work in our hearts so we can understand the meaning that he wants us to take away from today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's with humble hearts that we come before you. We are so grateful that you don't leave us by ourselves in this world. Your, your word is a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. We thank you, Father, for your precious word. And now we ask, God, that you would orient the attention of our hearts, perhaps away from the distractions of this week or of this day, of, of the things that, we, um, things that are important to us but that are not... Uh, the greatest thing that we desire, which is to know you more and to experience you. So, Father, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins, take away all those things that would prevent us from encountering you, and by the power of your Spirit, please, Lord, open the eyes of our hearts and the ears of our hearts so that we could hear from you and encounter you in a fresh way through the reading of your holy word. We bless your name in this place, Father, and desperately desire that you would speak to us now to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's do this. All right. So Jacob's short season of transition is coming to an end. And in verse 1, it says he arrives to the people of the east. People of the east, which is a very unusual way to refer to a group of people. Um, But I actually did a little bit of research. And in the book of Genesis, this book that we've been reading through, Anytime the Bible refers by name to a group of people as the people from the East, it's always people who have turned away from God. They've somehow, you know, said no to God. For instance, starting in Genesis 3.23, Cain, uh, who murdered his brother, if you remember, went to the East, it says, after this episode. I'm sorry? East of Eden. Exactly. Never, so never forget this. And this is going to play into when we study the rest of this story and it's going to play into your life. God often grows our faith by allowing us to interact with people who don't follow his ways. This is his plan for Jacob and this is his plan for us. We'll see how that's going to play out. So Jacob, remember, he's on this journey and he's starting to get, like I'm starting to get into some familiar ground now. And the first thing he sees in verse 2 is a well and three flocks of sheep. And I think Jacob was thinking, yeah, this is awesome. I'm a shepherd. My dad's a shepherd. My grandfather was a shepherd. These are shepherds. I can hang with these people. I think this is good. So in verse four, he calls, verse four, he says, hey, brothers, do you know my uncle Laban? And they're like, yeah. In fact, here comes his daughter, Rachel. She's a shepherd too. And Rachel comes, and as we know, she is quite stunning looking to Jacob. And he sees her, and he sees the well. So he goes up and opens the well and starts feeding uh, and providing water to all the sheep. And in verse 11, 
Jacob is overwhelmed with joy, uh, considering what he's been through. It's like, great, I'm, things are starting to roll for me now. And he gives this big old kiss to Rachel. And more, you know, I think this was more of an act of a family affection rather, and relief rather than just romance. And he reveals his identity to Jacob. You know, I'm your, uh, I, your dad's my uncle. And she introduces Jacob to her dad, Laban. Laban returns the affection. It's all good. And I think we need to stop right here because uh, this is going to be important for us. And to appreciate Jacob's joy, the joy that he feels right now. In verse 11, it says he weeps aloud. It's hard for guys to weep aloud. I think it was hard even 3,000 years ago for Jacob to do that. From relief. It's like, boy, this dark season of my life where I was traveling alone, I was not in control of my circumstances, I was afraid. Now God is starting to, you know, bring some good in my life. I'm so happy. Yay! He's weeping aloud. Um, this journey was the start of a new season in Jacob's life. This season is marked by change and by struggle. And he felt so much struggle that just seeing some friendly faces and a beautiful face brought tears of joy to his eyes at the grace of God that he was finally starting to experience. Let me ask you something. This is about, this story has a lot of, to do about God working through the circumstances of your life in seasons of change. Think about yourself and where you're at right now, this week, or this month, or this season. Do you feel like God has you in a season of change? How so? Some of the signs if you're in a season of change is this. The people and the circumstances that you find in your life are very challenging to deal with. Perhaps you feel like your circumstances are way out of your control, despite your best efforts to control. You feel alone, like Jacob felt on his journey before coming here. Maybe you feel cold or dark spiritually. Maybe you haven't sensed God's presence in a while, and that's very upsetting. I know it is to me when I'm in that kind of situation. Do you find yourself, perhaps, in a season of change, and you feel vulnerable, like, wow, the things that I was used to are just not happening anymore. And boy, it's really upsetting me. Do you feel like that on any level? I do. <laughs> the truth of the reality of that situation still remains that God hasn't left you. He's with you. He's sovereign over your life. We sang about how good he is and how we need his grace for us to trust him. He's sovereign over your life. He's still with you. And just like he told Jacob during his journey here, at the most vulnerable time in his life, um, he spoke that into his life. And I, I think even this far into the passage, we can see that there's a big idea, not just for Jacob, but there's a big idea for us, a larger meaning that God wants us to take out of this passage. And it's this that God will supply the grace you need to accomplish his plan for your life. And we embrace that grace by being content with the life that he has given us. Content with the life that he's given us. Struggles and all. What? Yeah. You know, oftentimes, maybe, uh, I, I know I do this. I may be the only one in this room who does this. 
But I think that God's job description is to make my life easy, easy and pain-free. Take away all the things that I don't like. Take away all the things that don't meet my expectations. And I often forget that that's not what God has told us in here. God's plan for our life is that we become more like his son, that our hearts are shaped more into becoming like Jesus's heart. That's called discipleship. And he will supply the grace to do that. And so often, I, I don't like this, but he uses difficulties in our life to do that. Second Corinthians 12, 9, Jesus, uh, Paul said, this is Jesus speaking to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, your weakness, not in your strength, but when you're vulnerable and hurting. We can trust in that promise that he is good. We sang about that. Give me faith to trust what you say, to know that you are good and your, your love is great. Amen. And in this season, just like Jacob, God wants you to rely on his grace by showing the world like he asked Jacob to, what a life of faith looks like even though you're going through struggle and change. The world values avoiding pain, selfishness, stinginess, dishonesty, things that we see in this passage. But as members of God's kingdom, we got to, no, 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 no. We need to embrace pain, um, embrace self-sacrifice, embrace generosity, authenticity, and in that regard, we need to see ourselves as strangers. Yes, strangers in an alien world. Foreigners. Citizens of heaven in a strange world. I was telling Ken and Jeffrey earlier, my family and I, my wife and my two kids, we just went on vacation. We got back about a week ago. We went to Europe for two weeks. And boy, there were some times where I really felt like a foreigner, like a stranger. You ever traveled to a foreign land, maybe a place where you didn't speak the language that everyone else was around you? Remember how that felt? I felt really out of place. Um, I even thought back when we went on this trip a few weeks ago to Europe to the first time I went to Argentina, which is my wife's home country. I went to Argentina, and I was so excited to get there, and I got off the plane, and I started looking around and talking to people, and I was like, wow, I feel kind of weird. Like, all the guys my age, they all dress the same. They dress really different than I did. You know, I grew up in the Bay Area. I was, I'm from San Francisco. I was like, okay, that, that's kind of weird, but I, I, I can still hang with that. I don't feel that out of place. And, and, and all the women dressed the same and they had the same hairstyle. And I was like, whoa, that's kind of weird. That's not like how it is in the Bay Area. Um, the first time I went to breakfast, I met her, her younger sister, and I was starving, right? Because I like thought all the food was weird. So like this next Monday, uh, the next day in the morning, I met her sister, and her sister was going to take me out to breakfast. And so I said, "All right, man, I'm gonna get a big old plate of steamy bacon and eggs, and uh, I, this is going to be on." And she took me to breakfast, and um, they brought out a piece of chocolate cake with a fork. And I was like, "Oh, this is how they start breakfast in Argentina? Yeah, I can hang." Wow, the good stuff's coming next. So I devour this cake. I was like, all right, dessert first. That's what I'm talking about. And um, about five minutes later, there's like, there's no menu. Like, I'm not ordering hash browns. 30 minutes goes by. We're still yapping. And I'm like, man, where's the food? I'm getting hungry. And then about an hour, they bring the check, and she takes them out. I'm like, that was breakfast? A stinking slice of cake? Um, 
when I would greet guys, you know, we would hug and guys would kiss on the cheek. That's just how they do it there. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. I'm okay with that. I can do that, but that felt kind of weird. And I can go on and on, but uh, I was a stranger. I was a foreigner in a strange place. That's how disciples should feel. Don't ever forget, we are spiritual exiles. We're foreigners in this world. It's God's will that we act this way in front of people who don't follow him, who don't know him. Even though we're suffering inside, even though life isn't going the way we want to, this is what Jesus did. Jesus suffered uh, unbelievably. He was abandoned. He was betrayed. He had inexperienced suffering we can't imagine. Yet he stayed faithful. Embrace this truth That struggle is necessary, therefore, for us to become more like Christ. And that's God's will for our life, that we become more like Christ by enduring struggle. His grace is sufficient. I I don't know where you're at. Sometimes it's not as hard as we make it out to be to embrace the grace of God. Sometimes it's just as simple as saying this. All right, Jesus, God, I feel like a stranger in this environment. I I can't handle work. I can't handle my family. I feel like I'm a stranger. It's a weird world. The world's ways are so dark. By your grace, Lord, please uh, give me the grace. Please be near me. Please uh, help me to be obedient, to show your love to this dark world. Help me to walk near you and be near you for your glory. Uh, At the end of the day, you're all I really need, Lord. Please, you know, this sort of thing. This is it. The world wants you to forget you're in exile by assimilating. Let's not do that. God will supply the grace you need to accomplish his plan for your life. We embrace that grace by uh, being content with the life that he's given us. We're going to see how this plays out as we study the second half of this passage. All right. In verse 14... So, so far, Jacob's great. He's like, wow, you know, Rachel's here. I I can be a shepherd. This is awesome. He's been staying with Laban for a month. And, you know, he's making friends. And he's probably thinking, God is good. Yeah. Because he's given me the life that I've always wanted. And and I'm happy with this life. And in verse 15, Laban can kind of see that, okay, Jacob's settling down here in my empire He's making friends with my workers. He kind of likes my daughter. It's pretty obvious to see. All right. And he says, in verse 15, he says, Jacob, you can't work for me forever for free. Like, what do you want? And easy. Jacob's like, of course, had a big crush on Rachel. Um, He thinks she's super attractive. In fact, on his top 10 list of most desirable qualities for a mate, his list probably says, Hottie, 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 on every list, on every, on every line item. Very unspiritual approach to, to marriage. And verse 20, in verse 18, Jacob says, I'll shepherd your sheep for seven years. Like, I'll work for you for seven years for your daughter. In the ancient Near East, it was very custom, it was customary for grooms to pay their father-in-laws to be what was called the bride price, a very large sum of money um, to marry uh, that daughter, because the father, Laban in this case, would be losing Rachel to Jacob. He would be losing her as a shepherd and as a daughter. And so, ah, so uh, 
the groom-to-be would pay this large sum of money. And so that's what's going on here. It's a solemn handshake. You know, it's an agreement. This is how we do it. We agree that this is a good thing. We shake hands. We do it. Jacob couldn't be happier. Seven years fly by. No complaints from God to God or to Laban. And he's thinking, boy, this is great. I get what I want. I'm working hard in life. I'm working hard to get what I want. I'm making systematic progress. I love how life works. I love how God works. This is right on. Yeah. And so after seven years, Laban presents his daughter for marriage. And in verse 22, he demonstrates good faith by throwing this week-long party. Like, it's all legit. You know, this is, this is a party's going on. And verse 23, it's the wedding night. And Jacob, of course, is very eager to consummate the marriage. And perhaps he's full of wine, you know, after celebrating. Rachel, um, he welcomes Rachel, who he thinks is Rachel. She's likely veiled. And the evening begins. Just one tiny issue, as you know. In verse 25, it says, In the morning, behold, it was Leah. Laban pulled an epic prank. In verse 23, he did a switcheroo, right? He put Leah in Rachel's clothes. And in verse 25, Jacob naturally protests. He said, I served seven years, dog, what's up? And Laban, like a sly fox, deflects his dishonesty and says, well, we don't let younger girls marry before their older siblings. Work for me another seven years. Super ironic because Jacob deceived his brother just prior to that. Yeah, it's like, okay, buddy, you lie in the bed you laid. Jacob agrees, and he essentially has two wives, which has always been against God's plan, But instead of, this is interesting, instead of pranking Laban and disappearing with his wives, incredibly, he works another seven years. He accepts his circumstances. Now, let's stop. I mean, lots can happen here. Again, how can we relate to Jacob? Think about this. Think about the situation you're in life right now. Have you been working hard or feel like, I've been working hard to get what I want in life? Or maybe even working hard just to get by. You have dreams. You have desires. You deserve them. We deserve Let me personalize this. I'm not talking down to you. I'm here with you. We have dreams. We have desires. We deserve them. Dare I say God owes them to us. We're good Christians, right? Like Jacob, maybe we felt this way for years. And just when you expect your life, just when we expect life to change for the best after struggling, in the morning, it's Leah. Life never goes according to our expectations. We, we laugh. It's kind of funny, but it's heartbreaking, really. I mean, like, we go home tonight, Sunday morning, tomorrow, Monday morning. It's like, oh, my gosh, this isn't the life I've been working hard for. What's going on? No matter how hard we try to control our life, in the morning, it's Leah. How is this true in your life today? I'm so sorry, Leah. You know, I'm not not putting you down at all. This is just the way God's word puts the reality of our life. Maybe you've toiled in your career path or your educational path, and the doors just aren't opening. In fact, doors are shutting. Maybe you're at that place right now. Maybe you've been faithful to somebody close to you, like Jacob has been faithful to Laban. Um, 
Yet isn't it true that the closest people we trust can betray us? Laban, Rachel, and Leah, they conspired over this thing. Maybe you've had business partners, friends, close family, even spouses. Eventually, they fall short of your expectations. Spouse, singular, sorry. Sometimes disappointment is partly your doing, like Jacob left because of his dishonesty, but often it's not. You've kept healthy as much as you can, but a frightening diagnosis was just made. What disappointing burdens are you carrying? And what's our response typically? In verse 25, we protest. Life's not fair. Life hasn't met my expectations. I work hard. I deserve better. And we may say that out loud or to others, but in truth, isn't it God we're angry at? Truth be told. And maybe, like Jacob, we're saying in verse 25, why have you deceived me, God? You know, I have, I have. And if that's the case, you know, we really have to ask ourselves this question. Who controls your life? Who is sovereign over your life? Who really is? Is it us? Is it you? When I feel like that, I get frustrated. I get anxious. I get angry when things don't go my way. Because it hurts my pride to realize that I'm not in control. And I feel real vulnerable in life. But if God is in control, the God of this Bible, not the God that I make up or the God that we make up, if he's in control and he's sovereign, then he will supply the grace we need to accomplish his plan for our life. And we embrace that grace by being content with the life that he has given us, not idolizing the life we think we should have. Don't desire the life you've idolized or dreamed about. As wonderful as it is, and there's nothing wrong with dreams, be content with the life you have today because a good, loving, faithful father who's in control has ordained it and custom-tailored it for you for good purposes. Hear the truth of God's love for you. In Jeremiah 31.3, he says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Everlasting love. Faithful. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's just who he is and how he loves you. That doesn't sound like a petty, judgmental God, does it? And maybe you feel vulnerable like Jacob did. Maybe forget Jacob. Maybe you just feel vulnerable. Isaiah 41, 13, For I, the Lord your God, I hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not. I am the one who helps you. God is near you, sustaining you through this tough time. He's not absent. Don't judge God by your circumstances. Judge your circumstances by God's promises. It is the lie of Satan and the lie of our flesh to think God is not with me. I'm alone for whatever reason. Or that you don't need God. Those are both lies. We think life is hard. God doesn't care about me. That's a lie. We think I'm such a rotten person for what I did. God could never love me. That's why my life is hard. I think that sometimes. That's a lie. That is not the truth. He is with you. And you can walk in peace and security without your struggles being removed because his love is that powerful. His love is that great.
Paul said this in Philippians 4.11. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In any and every circumstance, I have learned that the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is sovereign. And, and we go through passages like this and we, and we think about our own lives and we realize God is not the God so often who takes away our problems. Occasionally he does. But he's not the God who takes away our problems. He's the God who is with you in your problems and in your struggles. I want to just leave with this one, one episode. One of the worst days of my life, and certainly of my son Jeremiah's life, um, when he was five a couple of years ago, he was running and he tripped and fell and he injured himself very badly. He ruptured his kidney and he started hemorrhaging internally. Little five-year-old guy. It was really bad. So called the ambulance, came and took him and rushed him to the hospital to SF General. And sure enough, you know, they diagnosed him with a ruptured kidney. And they said, uh, they said you're his dad? Yeah, it's pretty bad pretty bad what's going on with him he may need surgery and i sat there with him in his hand in the er and i was like oh boy this is really bad and to a five-year-old i i looked at his eyes and to a five-year-old you know hospital is a really scary place it's cold there's new people they're poking him with needles they're wheeling him off to x-rays a lot of strangers and the first few hours of that time were the roughest. There was blood drawn, needles. And every time something would happen, when somebody would come into the room or they'd pull out a needle or they'd come in for exam, he'd look at me with the most desperate eyes and he'd say, Daddy, take me home. I don't want to be here, Daddy. When it was time for an exam, he'd go, Daddy, take me home. I don't want to be here. And when a needle would come out, he'd say, Daddy, take me home. I don't want to be here. It was so hard for me to see that. And, you know, I kind of had to muster up the courage in my heart. And I, I had to go over him and, and I picked up his hand and I held him and I kissed him. And I said, Jeremiah, you need this to heal. You need this to grow. You need this to, you know, so your body can repair. You need the help of these people. Um, they're going to help you. You're going to get better. And then I said this. I said, Jeremiah, daddy's here. Daddy loves you. Daddy will never leave you. And I didn't. I stayed with him the whole time. I was there for four days. And I know him. He wanted me to push everybody aside and just take him and pull him out of this place and take him home to a safe and easy place, away from this painful place. And that's how we think the life of a disciple is. We think we can just pray to God, or this is what we want, and God will just take us out of this painful, scary place. But now that I'm not five anymore, I realize that's not usually how it works. And despite prayer, when marriages don't heal, when finances look bad, when our health worsens, despite prayer, when depression comes, when ministries die, we say, God, take me away. I don't want to be here. But God comes to you and to us and says, Daddy's here. Daddy loves you. Daddy will never leave you. Be content with me in your pain. And, you know, I, I was with my son all night. I didn't sleep that night. And after a while, I saw him change. And he, uh, 
he began to accept his circumstances. He wasn't afraid when the needles came and when the, you know, the exams come. But now each time something happened, he would reach and he would grab my hand and, and hold me tight and bravely face whatever came. And every time I'd say the same thing, I'd say, Daddy's here, Daddy loves you, Daddy will never leave you. You know, this is how our Heavenly Father treats us in our pain. Using pain to change our heart, to become more like Jesus, not to punish you. Don't deny yourself the experience of his grace by holding on uh, to your desire to have an easy life or to have the kind of life you think you deserve. Um, Open yourself up to the grace of God and be content with the life he's given you. This is how we become more like Christ. And maybe you just need to come in your heart like me, I need to. There's so many ways now that I'm thinking about it and just say, Jesus, no matter what happens, um, you know, if I never have the security that I desire from a relationship, if I never have the security I desire from the special relationship I want, if I never have the security I think I deserve by a certain level of circumstance or a success or whatever, I still have all I need because all I need I have in you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.